you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I am really excited for today's conversation. I am joined by Amy Bonzel, founder and CEO of NOW, a business designed to support teams and individuals in flourishing at work. Amy, thanks for being on the show with me today. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. I'm really excited for this conversation, as I said. So before we dig in, though, let me first share a bit more about Amy. Amy is the founder and CEO, as I said, of the business Now. And in leading Now, Amy's been supporting businesses through the pandemic and increasing their connectivity, curiosity, and compassion. Prior to this role, Amy was a founder of the venture design practice at IDEO, where she spent a decade leading the creation of new businesses for companies across Europe, Australia, Asia, and the US. She also led new ventures at Old Navy, where she co-led the creation of a multi-million dollar new business for the company, making Old Navy the first large retailer to offer all of its products in all sizes for women of all shapes. I hope all of you saw that recent campaign and that launch. Old Navy had already started doing some of that work, but really expanded it and is really featuring and focusing that work and leaning into it. And Amy was really central to that. And so uh, huge congrats and amazing work. Um, Amy has lived in internationally in multiple cities and in non-pandemic times is a voracious traveler. She's earned an MBA from IMD in Switzerland, a master of science from Carnegie Mellon University, and a bachelor's in engineering from the University of New Hampshire. So with that, Amy, I'd love to start by having you talk a little bit about um, this new venture that you're leading with now. You helped so many companies start their own new ventures back when you were with IDEO. And I would love to hear more about what brought you to start this new venture centered around mindfulness and wellness. Well, that's a great question, Kathy. And as all really good new ventures stories begin, it starts with a failure. Um, so I was basically, I was growing in my career as a leader and I was, I was working in IDEO. I was in Singapore and I was stepping up into a more senior role and I realized that I was struggling. I was not communicating with my boss or my team. Well, I was riddled with anxiety, with self-doubt, and it was just really a hard time in my personal career and uh, someone mentioned mindfulness and meditation to me, and I thought, well, it can't hurt. You know, I will try any new trick. Um, and, but what, what I discovered was so powerful. Um, you know, first, it's, I, I think, the simplicity of mindfulness and meditation. And just I'll briefly describe my, my version of it, my experience with it, um, because I think those words are loaded, honestly, 
Um, but to me, meditation is, um, is a tool that supports uh, creating expansiveness in the mind. And I often come down to, I describe it as the difference between being able to react and being able to respond to something. So reaction is, is, is a tool that we've developed over time. It's our gut instinct that happens in a nanosecond. It's a default. And actually, there's a lot of science that supports that this is, this is, there's a default mode network in our brain, and it is designed to help us not think and just do things. Unfortunately, this works really well if we're being chased by a tiger or, you know, about to be hit by a car or something like this. It doesn't always work well when we perceive threats that aren't necessarily life threatening or real. Um, perceived slights, perceived aggressions, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that can happen at work and can put us into a fight or flight mode. Um, so that's reaction. Responsiveness is the ability to notice, oh, okay, I have a perceived threat, and to take yet one more nanosecond and to think, is this real? Uh, if so, how do I want to deal with it? If not, how do I want to deal with it? And so that's, that's really what mindfulness provides. Uh, meditation is just, I, I like to describe it as meditation is like doing the push-ups, and mindfulness is the ability to lift something heavy. Um, so that was a first formative experience for me. I was, I was really transformed by learning these tools. The second transformative experience also happened in Singapore. I was living and working there and working with some tech companies who were looking to reinvent their culture and their experience. One of the things that we did for inspiration was we took a, a ferry to an island off the coast of Singapore where people live like they used to live before modernization. So they live in what, is called, what are called kampongs, uh, basically shared communal spaces with very little private space where people support each other. They work together to uh, create a homestead, to farm food. Uh, everyone has chores to do throughout the day. Uh, there's no electricity. And so they rely on generators. And so it's, it's very much rustic living. But what was interesting is we met a singer-songwriter there, a creative person, and she had been living there for a while. And she, she said her life had changed immensely. She said she woke up every morning in the one moment when birds stopped singing and insects stopped chirping. That was her alarm clock. She went to sleep when the sun set because there was no electricity and she had chores throughout the day. Uh, so that was interesting to hear. But what, was, what blew my mind is she said she had never been more creative or more productive in her life. So these two experiences combined together to close that story out. We hopped on the, Singapore, uh, on the ferry, went back to Singapore and you're, you're transformed from a very rural environment to a city of skyscrapers. Arguably, Singapore is the most modern city in the world. And when we went up the elevator to the office of our clients, we realized that all of the pain had been stripped away. All of the things that this singer had described, you know, having to have chores, finding her own food, having these constraints on the end of her day, it had all been taken away in an effort to make us more productive. But I actually started to realize 
and turns out science backs me up on this, that was making us less productive. We need these boundaries in our day. We need these times when we're turning our attention to something manual, something that is not taxing our brains like our work does. And so that combined with mindfulness really made me realize there's a gap in the workplace. We are not supporting each other in using these tools which actually make us more productive and oh, by the way, they make us feel better too. It's one of those rare win-win situations. So forgive the long story, but those were the things that really drove me to realize that there's a gap in the market. And it was exacerbated when I moved back to the U.S. from Singapore. And I realized we'd turned all these beautiful tools, meditation, mindfulness, uh, et cetera, into kind of a competitive sport. And you know what I mean, right? Like your watch tells you when to meditate or like there's a tracker on your app that says you've, you've hit X number of days. We took away the communal element and we added in the competitive element. And so that's what I'm working to change. Uh, I'm working to change this sense that it's a competition and to really leverage community to support each other. And there's been no greater time to do this than in the past 18 months, given the pandemic. We all feel it and we all need it right now. Yeah, it's wow. There's so much you shared in that. And uh, I so appreciate the stories and the experiences and even just being vulnerable, Amy, and sharing that even as a high performer, because I and I'm emphasizing this for a reason, even as a high performer, Many of us, and we heard this from Claire Joseph, who is on the podcast several um, episodes ago, who is an expert in imposter syndrome. So many of us who are high performers will experience self-doubt or we experience imposter syndrome. And so it's not uncommon for us to do this. So I appreciate you just sharing that and normalizing it and, and, and being proof of that. Uh, and then also just sharing how going back to some concepts that I think really, like you're saying, fly in the face of some of the cultural constructs that we have to operate in. And I know we'll talk more about these. So it's so helpful to have you share also these stories and real life experiences that demonstrate that actually setting boundaries is so powerful or being in community around this as opposed to the competitiveness, which I so I, I really think people do struggle with that. I was just reading something about that where people were, you know, talking about, gosh, we've put all this kind of tracking around everything that we do. Is that really healthy? So you did bring up that, gosh, this was so important at this time. And you're right. I feel like you were called to this work at the right time, Amy, as we have been dealing with this pandemic. So can you share a little bit more about what you have been doing over the last 18 months, say, and as we're looking forward in working with organizations and teams with now and addressing some of what's been coming up over this time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's Well, funny is probably the wrong word. It's, it's ironic, perhaps. This has been an idea that's been kind of percolating for me for a while. And it's, it's not new. Like so many things, the pandemic has just highlighted challenges we already had. Uh, but what's become apparent is just how, how much of an opportunity this is. Um, so yeah, so I've been running this business 
sort of officially for about 18 months now. And actually to normalize something else, I have been working on this idea for five years at least. Uh, You know, I, I was updating my LinkedIn forgive the segue here, but I was updating my LinkedIn recently and deciding when to say this business started. Uh, And I ended up just saying, you know, it started as an idea five years ago and I've been working on it. I prototyped it in various forms in various places, including at IDEO, including at Old Navy. And, uh, and it was when the pandemic hit that I thought, okay, there's, there's no moment that will have greater need than this one. So, so that's why I launched now uh, at this moment. And what I've been doing is working with teams on essentially reestablishing boundaries, routines, and rituals. Uh, quote, quote, unquote, normal working life, which never existed and we'll never see again. Um, but, you know, pre-pandemic, we had some inbuilt boundaries. We had our commute every day. And much as we love to complain about our commutes, and there's been a lot of scientific studies on the benefits and the drawbacks of commutes, they provided a really strong transition for us. We lost that. We lost transitions between meetings. We don't leave our chairs. I'm sure you took a previous meeting in the same chair you're in. I will go from client to client after we speak in the same chair with the same background. So we've lost a lot of transitions and boundaries throughout our days. So first thing I've been doing with teams is just adding those back in and reminding people of the importance of them. Um, The second thing is, you know, rituals, creating moments and connectivity points uh, within our teams. Often these were ad hoc things before, before the pandemic. So, you'd grab lunch together or maybe, you know, once a month or if there was a team event, you'd go out for a drink after work. Um, We lost those rituals too. And so much of our conversation and our online time now is very transactional. So adding back in uh, those rituals, moments where we connect as people, not as workers, actually makes a really big difference. I could go on. Um, There's a lot of things that we've been working on. But sort of the main point, just to bring it back to where I started, is I'm doing this at team level, and I'm working with teams collectively. Um, And I really believe, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm technically in the well-being business, but I don't use the word well-being anymore because it's it's loaded, right? It has a lot of, it too has, has become this thing. It feels like we need to tick off and another to do item on our list. And uh, so that gets to be a burden, especially individually. What I'm trying to do, I speak a lot more about flourishing and I can talk more about that in a second. Um, But I do that at team level because I really believe that we collectively can help each other create these boundaries and, and routines together. And that helps us flourish. Yeah, I I love that you're bringing that up as well. I wanted to come back to hearing a little bit more about the community piece and being supported through that. And you talked about how in your second story that you started with, how that communal aspect was so important. And I want to layer yeah. in here because I've had other people ask me this and I've been 
thinking about like, what is the best way to accomplish this? Like, so it, you know, on the one hand, you're saying there's really is a benefit to doing this collectively as a community and having that support. And yet I, I also have people who will say, well, I don't have that. And yet I want to establish boundaries so that I can have more sustainable ambition. How do I do that without upsetting people or triggering them? Yeah. And perhaps your answer might be like, well, create community around it, normalize it perhaps. But how yeah. do you have thoughts on just what is the power of doing it as community? And then if people don't have yeah. that, what might they do? Two great questions. Uh, the benefit of doing it in community, I mean, I think we all inherently know this, right? So are you more likely to jog by yourself? Or are you more likely to go on a jog if you have a commitment with a friend? You know, even throughout the pandemic with virtual exercise for myself, for instance, I am way more likely to go to a live yoga class than an on-demand yoga class, right? Like there's, there's, there's something about other people that creates commitment. And so that in essence, is why do this collectively? Now, in the workplace, there's actually been some great research around this. Uh, there was a researcher at Harvard who worked with teams from BCG, Boston Consulting Group, um, which is famous for working people very hard. And she did some experimentation around collective group goals uh, at team level, at project team level. And what she found was... Uh, an increase across the board, an increase in productivity, an increase in efficiency, an increase in feeling good, an increase in uh, work output, an increase in team um, team connectivity. So every single metric was up. And she did this not only with one team, but of course in good Harvard plus BCG style, did it across 80% of the organization and, and has incredible data around this. So we know that it works. Um, if you don't have that, you know, one of the, uh, just, I believe we learn in stories. So to tell another story here, I was doing some work with a client recently and I was working with one of the most exhausted parts of the organization. And uh, one of the things that I did, one of the exercises we did together is I asked them, what should we get rid of? What should we stop doing? And I expected them to come up with like, oh, initiative X, we don't need to do that. Or, you know, meeting Y, but it was none of that. What they all collectively came to when joined together was, I, I need to say no more. I need to stop thinking that I can do everything. I need to be modeling what it takes to, to be, you know, to be flourishing myself and this is a group of leaders. And I think, you know, you don't have to be in a formal leadership position to start modeling this. I think that we are, we are all craving this by and large. You know, I, it's interesting. I have a lot of group interactions and then I have a lot of individual interactions. And sometimes in groups, I'll hear things like, we're all, we've all got it together. And, you know, 95% of the time in individual conversations, I hear things like, I pretend that I have it together because I think that's what is culturally normal. I don't have it together. And so if you're sitting there alone thinking, I am the only one who feels this way, 
you are not. You are absolutely not. And there's real power in just starting it, creating a boundary, seeing if it sticks. Um, there's a, there's also really great, uh, there's a great video. You can Google it, I'm sure, about starting a movement. I don't know if you've seen this, Kathy, but it's, it's, it's one person dancing on a hill. And one person dancing on a hill looks like a crazy person. Uh, but then another person joins and all of a sudden it's not crazy at all. It's normalized. And then more and more people get up. So I would say if you're alone, find yourself a partner, do it together, and then see how many people start to join and start to really appreciate this. And then, you know, we, we work in a lot of science and data heavy organizations, especially in the Silicon Valley you know, dig into the research, bring those stats to your teams. Like there's absolutely correlation between well-being and productivity. There was a study done that showed stock prices rise when employees feel better. Um, there's also, you know, data around uh, burnout and uh, the cost it, it costs an employee, uh, excuse me, an organization when someone quits, like the cost is like two times their salary. So there's a lot of data that supports that us feeling better impacts our organizations positively. Mm, so great. And thank you for all those tips for people that if they're feeling alone or they don't already have community and support within their organization, that there are things they can do. And it reminds me of a leadership course that I took where they talked about the fact that really we all can create culture around us. So we shouldn't feel like we are powerless. And to your point, creating that movement uh, is really, I think, a powerful suggestion for people to start to take back some ownership and feel like they can make some change for themselves. From there, I wanted to come back to, and I actually wanna maybe try to put two concepts together that you've brought up. And one is flourishing versus well-being. So I would love to have you say a little bit more about that. And then you've also tied that, Amy, to productivity. And the reason I wanna bring this up is because I was actually in a workshop a few months ago where, and it was around flexibility at work. And I was just in chat, I was participating, and there was something that was said that I thought somebody implied one thing and I was like, oh yeah, I actually think flexibility can have benefits for productivity. And wow, did I get jumped on for saying, saying that? And it was really interesting because I think people almost thought productivity equals work harder and you know, actually will lead to burnout. And, but to me, I was thinking, no, I actually think by giving people flexibility, it can lead to efficiency and flourishing and less yeah. burnout because people can actually work when it's best for them and not be tied to these constructs of being in an office or certain set times. So I'm wondering if you can just say a little bit more then about like flourishing and then because you've been tying it to productivity, I'm sensing like that's not necessarily a bad thing in your book. And I, th and I think certainly companies aren't going to necessarily think it's a bad thing. But how do you think about those two concepts? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. There's so much to unpick there. And thank you for bringing them together. Firstly, just to define flourishing a little bit. So flourishing is, is really the act of you know, developing in a healthier, vigorous way as a result of a favorable environment. And so it's on us, it's our opportunity to create these favorable environments for ourselves. Um, there's been a lot of research into what it takes for people to flourish in life. 
And I've taken that research and translated it into what we need to flourish at work. Um, there's, there's seven things. I won't go through them all, but there's three buckets that I think are really important. One is connection. The second is adaptability, which includes flexibility. And the third is fair potential. So just to tick the last one off, because this is less that individuals can do, and this is more on organizations, creating an environment in which, you know, promotion is, is fair and clear, um, creating an environment in which there's the right amount of work and, and stretch, but not too much work and stretch. Like all of those things are really on the organization to de design. Um, connection on the flip side is absolutely something that we can, yes, the organization can support, but we can all actively play a role in that. And there's two pieces to that. One is really around building strong relationships with the people that we work with. And the other is around creating an, an environment and a community in which people belong. And that could be the, the whole, a topic of a podcast in and of itself. Uh, so we can go back to that if we want. Um, but to hit on the, the one that you were mentioning, that third bucket is adaptability. And this includes the ability to create and hold boundaries and guardrails. And it also includes autonomy and the ability to set our own schedules. So there was an incredible bit of work that was done, I think around 15 years ago by Best Buy on flexibility. So Best Buy is headquartered in Minneapolis and Minneapolis actually uh, hosts a variety of headquarters of a variety of really good companies. And so they had a competitive threat. They had people um, leaving to go to some of their, you know, really powerful competitors in the area. And so they asked themselves, how can we make this a more suitable environment, an environment where people feel like they're flourishing uh, and they want to stay? And they really played with the lever of flexibility. So what they did was they created, they actually... In all, with, in, as in all good kind of policies, they started with an experiment, but they experimented with allowing people to choose uh, where they worked on certain days. Uh, it's actually very reminiscent of what we're all talking about right now, which is we'll be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we'll be out Monday, Friday, some version of that. What they found very quickly was that was actually insufficient in terms of flexibility um, because it was... It was allowing people time out of the office, but it wasn't allowing for things like their kids getting sick and thus them needing to stay home or an emergency dental appointment or something like that. So they then started experimenting with allowing people to choose every single day where they worked. Um, and it sounds like a nightmare. It actually worked out really well for them. Uh, what they were worried about is too little connection time, too few time in the too little time together with people. And what they did to kind of make sure that they were on balance was everyone had a calendar or every team had a calendar and people would mark green, yellow, or red. Green is I'm in the office, yellow is I'm working remotely, red is I am off. And they just like, that was a visual way of, tra of tracking how people uh, were coming together and being apart. Uh, there's more to those tools, but I'll, I'll kind of 
go back to macro for a second and talk about the impact here. The impact was super positive. It increased um, it increased people's likelihood to stay in their jobs. Um, it increased uh, productivity as well. So they 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 coined it results results oriented working environment R O W E. So you can Google that. Um, but what they found was that this increase in flexibility, once they'd figured out how to do it, um, actually really supported an increase in people feeling uh, connected to the environment and getting their work done. So absolutely, there's a connection. There's myriad studies, actually, that show a connection between um, just people feeling like they're in an environment that supports them and really good work getting done. Wow, that's so great. And I appreciate you talking about flourishing and these components and also really acknowledging both what is on the organization to work with and what, again, individuals can take on. And what you're starting to bring up as well is this notion of where we're starting to head in terms of coming out of, and I don't even know what coming out of the pandemic means anymore. It does feel like we're at a new stage of things, Amy. And you certainly hear in the news or if you're reading articles, like hybrid work is here to stay. So what are you seeing around that and how these elements that you're talking about and that you've been working with can support organizations and individuals as we start to move into this new environment that really does demand, as you're saying, that we all bring a level of adaptability that many of us probably aren't as comfortable with, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I, I too, have lost track of what it means to come out of the pandemic. I, I read something recently that said, you know, going back to work is way harder than leaving the office. Going back to the office is way harder than leaving the office. And I think we can all a thousand percent attest to that right now. Um, It's complex. I think every major tech company in Silicon Valley has delayed again, return to office. You know, part of that is a large part, I'm sure, is due to the Delta variant. But also there's a lot of complexity in coming back and what it looks like. So I believe absolutely hybrid is here to stay. You know, so many workplaces now are saying to employees that you can, uh, they're providing a lot more flexibility both in where you're located, but also what office you show up to when you do show up. So I can imagine scenarios where we have, you know, quote unquote, work from office days, but part of the team is in the San Francisco office and part is in the LA office or wherever, you know? And so that's going to necessitate a hybrid mindset uh, more often than not. Um, So yes, I absolutely believe this is going to be something that we are, we're just in for, for a long time. And I, I don't know that we're ever out of it. I think we're, we're just going into a new way of being now. And Here's what I keep advising my clients and people that I am talking to about this. It, it, it requires us all to take an experimentation mindset. It, it requires that we're constantly thinking about and reflecting on what's working, what's not working, and how can we iterate from here. One of the things, one of the lessons that I learned so well when I spent my time at IDEO 
was the power of prototyping. I, I not prototype everything. I'm working on a little renovation and I'm literally prototyping where the ceiling is going to go. And, you know, I'm mapping out and putting, you know, fake countertops and all this sort of stuff. Prototyping helps because it lowers the barrier for us. So uh, if we roll out a new policy, um, there's expectation that come with that. If we say to our organization, we're trying this prototype, all of a sudden people feel comfortable talking about what doesn't work and what can make it better. Whereas with a policy, what you're more likely to have people grumbling in the, in the well, in the corridors, if they're work corridors, you know what I mean? But there's, there's a difference in mindset that comes with just rolling something out versus prototyping your way forward. And so I think this is a real opportunity for us. I think it's going to be uncomfortable for many because it's not how we used to operate. But I think it's, in my experience, it lowers the risk threshold and it lowers the pressure on doing anything. So once you get the hang of it, it actually makes life easier. So, so that's what I really encourage. Mm, very important. I appreciate that as counsel as well. And I'm curious just to build on this, uh, uh, going back maybe to the Best Buy, because one of the things that I wonder about, and this relates back to adaptability, and that I've also been wondering about is when people have so much flexibility, even if you're prototyping some something, like how does that end up working out? How do you accommodate whether or not people are in the office versus not being able to hear. I've always also already experienced one time of having people in a room and I was the one on the phone still or in, in a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting and the sound was awful and it was kind of painful. It was back to being on the conference line phone in the center of a room where you really only get 25% of what's being said because you're not in there. So I've also been a part of conversations where people say, hey, don't think that it's all about technology. There's also an element of individuals and learning new skills around how to manage a room that has some in office, some out of office, uh, which is fair. But was there any findings either from the Best Buy research and that study or that you're hearing from others in terms of what or what you're seeing others already doing that's working to help facilitate this? Because I think some people might just get stopped from being like, this is too complex. We can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You raise a great point. And I think there's two things that actually are really, really critical as we go into this. One, and this was true in the Best Buy example and also in the BCG example that I shared about a, a collective goal. The, the key element in both of those was regular uh, conversations. So calendared weekly conversations within the team about what's working and not as a team. And this may feel like a little bit of overhead or a burden, but what arose in both of these situations was that it was actually, it was, it was a time when people were talking about the logistics of meetings and getting together, but it was also a time when people were talking about how they could work together better as a team. How could they support in the case of BCG, their client, uh, or, you know, invest by internal organizations, how could they, how could they be more productive and efficient? So that's number one teams really need to get into a norm, not just of getting together and talk about the work for the week, but to talk about how they work. The second thing, and this is, I, I have to thank Priya Parker and the Art of Gathering 
for this. She's an author and a and an expert in gathering. And she's been doing a lot of great work on considering how hybrid works and what that looks like. And one of her recommendations is actually you need to think of the online and experience and the in-person experience as two meetings, two gatherings. And so therefore you need two hosts. You need someone that's focused on those online and someone that's focused on those in person. And then you need to think about bridges very carefully. So, um, so because it, you're absolutely right, the story you just told, I've heard multiple times already, and it can be very easy for us to create in-groups and out-groups. You know, the people who are in the office and get the FaceTime, and then the people who are out. Um, and so we have to actively design for creating a balanced environment. And, you know, frankly, I think at the beginning, it's going to take more work. It's going to be harder, like two hosts instead of one. One of the things, for instance, that could have made your experience better is if everyone in in the room had their own screen so that you could, you know, have some equity with them and be able to see everyone's faces and hear from them. Um, so it will take more work. Um, but I think there's there's beauty in it once we once we navigate that. Yes, I I agree with this, and I love what you're bringing bringing up, which is don't just talk about the work, talk about how you work, and that's you know especially the example of even managing a meeting. And even though I I wholeheartedly agree that even though it may feel like it's going to take more work now, to me there's again unlock here in terms of, yeah. I kind of think that this op time offers companies an opportunity to really step back and think about how they work and how work gets yeah. done to kind of, for example, break this over meeting culture that a lot of companies have. If people don't pause, I think we just kind of go rotely through this just meeting, 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 instead of yeah. saying, we got to break this down and think about how we're working differently. And I think this time affords that opportunity to, to pause and really rethink. Oh, a thousand percent. Actually, that reminds me of one other example. Uh, Basecamp is uh, famous actually for publishing the way it works online and really experimenting. And one of the things that they've been really strong advocates of is more asynchronous communication. So what happened during the pandemic is we defaulted to everything needs to be a meeting. Uh, so something that might have been a hallway conversation becomes a meeting, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're on meeting overload right now. But I think there's so much interesting richness to play with in terms of how can we collaborate asynchronously? I think we'll all feel better. We'll all have more space because of that. And then that puts our in-person meetings or gatherings in a different light. And, you know, it changes the emphasis of them. So maybe processy things are more asynchronous. Gatherings in person or hybrid are more about strengthening connections and building relationships and talking about how we work, for instance, all of these things that are, that need the delicacy of a conversation. Mm, I love that. And yes, I, I'd point people to Basecamp as an example too. They're really, as you said, great examples of both testing things out. And I think also a company that really 
is intentional, thinks about what is important for them as a company, how they operate and are willing to buck the norms and find what works for them. So I think that's really important. Before I start to wrap up, Amy, I, one of the questions I just want to get in and kind of come back to, and I'm going to tie a couple of things together here, and hopefully I don't make it too complicated, but one of the things that's been showing up, I know for myself even, because I tend to be a hard worker and I'm hearing it from other people too, is that for those of us that tend to frankly like to work in some respects, or we are hard workers naturally, but that does not mean we want to get to burnout. We also might like time off, but it goes back to that idea of setting boundaries or I wanted to ask you about the role and importance of either resting and repair, because there's a part of me that thinks that you know, hard workers need more rest and repair. <laughs> it, it, you know, if you are really working intensely, you can't keep that sustained effort, you know, for forever. You know, so there are some, you know, internationally ranked like marathoners, right, who can run five minute miles for 26 miles, but most of us cannot do that. Um, so uh, most of us perhaps need to be doing hit trainings or things like that. But how do you think about just people building a little bit more resilience or tools for them to help sustain themselves over time? And, and what are, is, is resting and repair part of that? Are there other things pe people can be pointing towards? And I know there's probably you're like, it's my whole program, Kathy. It's, you know, but <laughs> do you have a few tips yeah. or thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, one, you're a thousand percent right. And I, I do not come from the sporting world and I have no stats there, but I'm sure even those, those marathoners need to rest and, you know, and take days off and, and all of that. I think, the, I think the real gap, and this is a lot of what I am working on with my program, the real gap that we've created in our culture is we, we, we live in extremes. We rush, 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 rush. We do a ton. We burn out. We take vacation. The first like two or three days of vacation are just literally catching up on our sleep and, you know, getting to a point where we can actually rest and recover. Um, and that's not healthy and it doesn't feel good. And so a lot of what I advocate for, and that's what we work on in the program is how can we create bursts of rest and recovery throughout the day and throughout the week? Those can look like, like a simple minute between meetings can be used differently um, to relinquish what happened and focus on what you're going into. Uh, it can look like team, teams getting together to focus on inspiration and curiosity and things that don't necessarily deliberately tie to the task at hand, but actually allow their brains a chance to go in a different direction. Often, frankly, that comes back to benefiting the work, but it also allows for rest and recovery. Um, I think some of the boundaries and routines we can be putting in place as teams can be about, you know, when are we on and when are we off during the day? You know, it sounds, oh, it sounds frankly a little bit kindergarten to say, like we all take a certain amount of time off at the same time. However, if we don't do something like that, it can be really easy to get an urgent text from someone who's in the middle of another meeting that needs something from you, et cetera, et cetera. So that time gets really eroded if we don't work on that collectively. So I'd think sort of the, the answer is absolutely yes, we need rest and recovery. 
We don't just need it at vacation, although we do need those. We need to find ways to really make it part of our routines. Mm, so important and something to really champion for everyone. I kind of have started to thought, talk about this idea of like, what are you doing to sustain yourself on a day level, on a week, on a month, quarter, and mm. year? And I think people really do need to think about what that takes. I could talk to you for a long time, Amy. I'm... This has been a great conversation. I so appreciate you sharing all the stories and the research behind what you're advising and the work that you're doing, which I think is just so important and so needed in the world today. Thank goodness you launched this, right, as we're going into the pandemic. And I'm wondering if we can just close with what's the final piece of advice you might leave our listeners with? Oh, gosh. Well, first, I'll, I'll start to buy myself some time. I'll start by just saying thank you for having me and thank you for this podcast and the work that you're doing. I think we're, we're championing the, the same cause, which is how do we create, um, you know, an environment in which we can flourish and, and sustain ourselves for a long time so that we can keep doing this work that's so valuable. Um, so that, that's my thanks to you. In terms of a final piece of advice, you know, actually, I, I would say what can be really powerful is to kind of step back and start by asking why is it important to you? Why is it important to flourish? Why is it important for, for you to have sustainable ambition? And if you can kind of almost treat it like a, a, a three-year-old asking you why like five times um, and really dig down to the essence of it, usually that is the thing that helps drive us to make these changes and sustain these changes is knowing what we're doing it for. You know, we're doing it almost always for something that is, is bigger and more important than, than whatever it is we're doing in the moment. So that would be my final piece of advice is actually start, start at the beginning, start with why this is important to you. And, and then the, what becomes easier. Mm, that's beautiful. Wonderful. Well, Thank you so much for being here, for sharing all your insights. Where can people find you, Amy, if they want to keep in touch or they want to actually engage with you and bring what you're doing with now into their own workplaces? Oh, thanks for that question. The best way to get in touch with me is on my website, in the now, I-N-T-H-E-N-A-U.com. Uh, that's, I host a blog there. So whenever I write, there's something there and there's contact information for me there. Uh, I also post everything to LinkedIn as well. So feel free to reach me there. Those are the two primary sources uh, of how to find me. Perfect. Perfect. And I will capture that in the show notes, of course. So wonderful to have you on, Amy. Thank you again for the work that you are doing and sharing this cause for helping people with their well-being, for flourishing, and helping them to achieve sustainable ambition. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you again for hosting. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice-monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. 
It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.